and I and then I saw the action that was it was some action going in there in there if you know what I mean. And I had never seen that man. And I just said, Oh my God, where where am I at? And then, then she walked in and said, this is San Francisco. I said, Oh, okay, I get it. This is San Francisco. That was Del Seymour, founder of Tenderloin Walking Tours and Co. Tenderloin. Welcome to Storied San Francisco. I'm your host, Jeff Hunt. In this podcast, Dell traces his life journey from Chicago, where he was born and went to school, through the military, where he served as a medic, to Los Angeles, where he moved to get away from the snow and cold weather of his hometown. Dell became one of the first firefighter medics for the LAFD, and worked there until he moved to the Bay Area to be with his family. This podcast was produced in partnership with an exciting new project that launches today. It's called Represent Collaborative, and it's a storytelling platform that covers issues of racial and social justice. It's also part of our Small Business September series. Here's Dell. It's born in Chicago. Uh, Chicago's a kind of very unique city. There's no city in the world exactly like Chicago. It's a melting pot of sort, of, of sort, but but all the it melts into different areas. So like you got a lot of diversity here, and then you melt it, but then it goes back diverse after it melts. So mm. we actually have something that I think is so PC and correct to call a part of a town, Chinatown, or or or, or Japantown, or a Polish town, and they still we we do it here, and they still do it in Chicago. And I think that it, I'd never use those terms. Because I don't think that that I mean that restricts anyone else from feeling comfortable. If you go to Chinatown, you immediately feel like an outsider, because you're not Chinese, unless you're Chinese. If you go, if you go to, you know, th- there's a part of Chicago called Poland Poland Town. They actually call it K Town, because most of the streets in that part of town begin with the K, which is like Warsaw. All the streets begin with the K: Kowalski and Komak and Kaminsky and all of that. So you don't feel comfortable in that neighborhood. I, ne- I mean, I, I never have uh, 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 because be- because it's just like they're saying, this is Chinatown mm-hmm. and this is Poland town. And I re- just right now, even in San Francisco, I never used that word for the Stockton area. That shouldn't be restricted or make anyone else feel uncomfortable. And you said, well, it's cute. No, it's not cute. It's restricted to me. So anyway, I grew up in Chicago. Um, I, I started getting interested in politics in Chicago because I, we lived in such a terrible neighborhood. I was looking for change back then. Hmm. I started working for Jesse Jackson and Operation Breadbasket in the in the early, early 60s. Uh, oh, I wow. went to several, uh, uh, several expeditions to the South, to Alabama. Uh, I was with SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Action Committee. Uh, back then we went to Selma, we went to Montgomery, we went to uh, Birmingham. When I was a young teenager, uh, so I, I became an activist. Then I walked the streets of Chicago with Martin Luther King, held his hand two, two, two complete separate times when we were trying to integrate the Chicago school system, because in in Illinois in the early '60s, the school system in Chicago was legally segregated. Hmm, right. Even if you wanted to, you could not go to a white school, or white could not go to a black school. Right. And there was a lot of violence uh, on the bu- the buses were being tur- turned over and all of that. So I was heavily into that. That was my thing. So which I kind of brought that activism out here. Um, 
What kind of work were you doing when you went to the South? What kind of stuff would you guys do down there? We would, we would, we were integrating the Woolworths and Kresge, which is a drugstore chain, their lunch counters. Got it. We're integrating the, um, I think the chain was the Red Roof Inns. Um, mm. And we were integrating um, the bus stations. Because mm -hmm. at that time they had, Blacks had to use the uh, Trailways bus station. That was the Black bus company. And we yeah, couldn't use did. the Greyhound bus stations. As the Greyhound yeah, buses right. started to allow Blacks and you couldn't use the bathroom or you couldn't use the water fountain. And all the restaurants were, were, were segregated. They had a Black dining room and a White dining room. All the movie theaters had were, were, were either Black movie theater or the White movie theaters. So with the success of changing those laws, it became Jim Crow's. So I went through that Jim Crow issue, where the reason they put balconies in movie theaters back then, when they still exist, was not for doubling the occupancy or anything like that. It was segregating the movie theaters. All right, we were right. all in, we were all in the balconies. Yeah, and so you were seeing a lot of that in Chicago as well. Is what you're saying? Oh yeah, it just wasn't, it just wasn't legally allowed, but but it definitely was. You could not go into a white neighborhood. You would get your ass whooped. There's a street in Chicago called Wentworth Avenue. I lived on Wentworth for years. It was row houses on both sides of, both sides of Wentworth. And, and Chicago is so hot in the summertime and muggy, humid, you couldn't go in the house till like two o'clock in the morning because it was right. too hot in that house. There was no such thing as air conditioning. So everybody sat on their stoops or their po porch. Everybody in Chicago sat on their porch till two o'clock in the morning. So we would sit there at night looking across the street into the Italian neighborhood, uh, and they sat there looking at us. You could not go across that street. If you hit a ball and the ball bounced on the other side of the street, that ball was gone. Right. You could look at that ball, but you could not go over there and get it, and vice versa. So, so that's interesting. You, you, you lived or grew up on that, on that line, literally. On Wentworth Avenue, yeah. Um, yeah, so you had a firsthand view of some of those divisions that you're talking about. Yeah, and it was it was it was rough. Every once in a while, we would get into a physical thing. Somebody would walk across the street or something, or, or, um, and the N word was used very regularly by, by the by by the other folks on the other side, uh, and we used our derogatory words against them. So it was mutual, um, yeah. and and that was probably the biggest memory I have of Chicago. Did you go through the Chicago public school system, or? Well, I went through the Catholic system, Chicago Catholic school. Okay. How was that for you? <laughs> well, looking back on it, it was as archaic and brutal and wrong as it could be. You know, the, 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 the beatings by the nuns and the priests were just, when you look back on it, and, and looking back on it, they were sexual beatings. Because oh, the priest would pull your pants down and whoop you bare ass with a, with, with, with a paddle. Yeah. And if you look in S and M, that's that's in the that's on page two of the S and M manual. Yep. So yep. Uh, we got a lot of discipline out. Did you go all the way through um, I guess high school? A to Z. And I actually went to the uh, preparatory seminary to be a priest. Oh wow. I did like four months. I was gonna say what happened there. He called me with a girl in the dorm. Yeah, yeah. That'll that'll do it. Did, did so it, yeah. did you? 
did you leave or did did they kick you out? I got put out that night. Okay. Oh no, no, they woke the whole staff up. They woke the whole. This is a woman. In, I said, "What's wrong with that?" I, I could, exactly. you know, I wasn't clear on the concept of no women in your life. I just wasn't clear on that. Yeah. You know? So I mean, okay. I, I, I volunteer. I mean, I, I was. I, it was a mutual leaving. I said, "Oh hell no! If, if you are, are, are on that mode, no, I can't do this." Um. Okay. So so what happened then after you got uh after you let's say you left the seminary. Yeah. So I got immediately after that, I got drafted. We were at the peak of the Vietnam War, and uh, I became an airborne medic, helicopter medic, helicopter medic, for evacuating soldiers from one part of the world to other parts of the world. And I was probably in parts of the world that I still can't say where I was. Um, so I did that for two years. Um, I found out when I was in in the service that it doesn't snow in California. So the moment I got back home to Chicago, I started packing that day. Cause that snow, I've never been good with snow. And so I came to LA and I, I within a year, I became a firefighter paramedic with the Los Angeles Fire Department. Um, okay, and what year would that have been? That would have been 1969. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, 1969. And I was actually the, and there's probably 30 to 40,000 licensed, uh, well, historical paramedics in the state of California, licensed by the state of California. My batch number is 3535. So I was one of the first people to graduate a paramedic program in the state of California because it was a brand new industry. Right. You must have seen some incredible stuff. I probably saw more incredible stuff on the streets of LA than I've seen in the service. Yeah, right. Yeah, much, Out much of one much. into another. Well, see, the thing is, when we responded as a, as a rescue unit with the helicopter, we were, the unit had already stabilized the patient, more or less, and they may have been with them for hours before we got there. Uh, and we only took stabilized chest and head shots. Because that, that was, the that was you know, uh, triage. But in L.A., we got there within two to three minutes of the incident. You know, I remember one call we got there, the gun, literally, like they say on TV, the gun was still, the guy was standing there, smoke was still coming out the barrel of the gun. Literally. I mean, I mean, really. Um, so we were there way, way before the police or anything. So, um, and I, I was stationed right in the hood, South Central L.A., so we, our gamut went from um, uh, overdoses to murders to suicides. We had four major freeways in, our, in my district. So we had some, you know, the LA freeways are like racetracks. So we had all the horrendous traffic accidents. Uh, we, we had a lot of swimming pools in our apartment complexes. Then they fill most of them up now because of the liability. But when I was there, everyone, every apartment complex had a swimming pool and drinking and swimming pools don't go together. So we had so many drownings uh, in our district. And um, of course we had fires. Um, we had car fires and house fires. Uh, so yeah, we had, it was full. A normal station rescue unit handles maybe 10 to 12 calls a day. We had 36, we, we did 36 a day. So we were rocking and rolling. Yeah, never a dull moment. No, it was never a dull moment there. No. Yeah. So how long did you stick with that? 
I did that for seven years. Oh, wow. That's a while. Okay. And then I became a single dad, so uh, I couldn't do the 24-hour shifts anymore. Right. And looking back, I should have made accommodation because that was the best job I would have ever had to stay with. Mm. But, you know, I had a I had a side job as a construction. I owned a construction company, so it wasn't a matter of finances. But I should have looked at it as a matter of stability because that's you can't get a job like that, you know. Um, that's one in a million to be a firefighter paramedic, especially in the city of LA, the best fire department in the United States. It's even rated by the insurance industry as the best fire department in the United States. Because we get there, LA, gets, we get there, San Francisco's probably number two or three, but LA, we get there quick. And we got the ladders to handle any any building. Um, just hmm. amazing, amazing department. Racist as hell, but amazing department. But what isn't racist, you know? Right. So then I... Uh, my kids, my sister was able to help me out and keep our kids here in the Bay Area. And I was coming up every weekend. And then she said, why don't you just move up here? Because I didn't have a lot going on in LA at that time. And I moved up to, up to the Bay Area. Can uh, we just go, go back really quickly? Um, do, you rem do you remember your first time in San Francisco? Can you tell us about that? I re yeah, I, I remember the first time in, 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 in San Francisco. Uh, um, I think the first night I, um, and me, 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 me from LA, conservative, soldier, firefighter, uh, never used drugs in my life, never touched a drug in my life and all of that, and not really accuned to this California lifestyle. Um, I met this girl, I forget where, but, but she says, let's meet on, on 6th Street in San Francisco. And I said, okay, not knowing what, never really been to San Francisco, had no idea what 6th Street is. And so I go to meet her at this bar at 6th Street and I get there ahead of time. And I remember specifically, I used to drink Coors Light. And uh, I sat down at the bar, waiting on her, and I asked for a Coors Light. And the bartender says, uh, we, don't, we don't sell Coors Light. And Coors Light at that time was a very popular beer. I said, well, that's weird. I said, well, give me a Budweiser. He said, okay. So he brings me a Budweiser. Later he comes and he's watching, this is right in front of me. And I says, why wouldn't you sell Coors Light? And he says, no respectable gay bar would sell Coors Light because you know it was a boycott. And I said, gay bar? And then I turned around and real, I had never been to the gay bar in my life, right? You know, and, and this is back in the, in, in the early, well, late 60s or so. And, I, and, and then I saw the action, that was, it was some action going in there in there, if you know what I mean. And I had never seen that, man. And I just said, oh my God, where, where am I at? And then, then she walked in and she said, this is San Francisco. I said, oh, okay, I get it. This is San Francisco. This is what we do up here. I said, okay, this is new to me. So that was a- Did you, did you already have, or were you already aware of, cause that's right around kind of the time of like, um, like gay, when gay activism really started in the mid, mid and late sixties, right? Did, did San Francisco already have a reputation like, was that on your mind at all? No, it did not. As, there was no Castro there. I mean, well, there right? always was a Castro. Castro was not a gay neighborhood. The right. gayness in San Francisco in those years, historically, was 6th Street, Turk and Taylor, uh, the, 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 the south part of, uh, of the Tenderloin. It was very restricted because it was illegal. Street. You know, so right. it, they it very illegal. You know, they had some clubs. They had the gay club underneath the straight club. But... Uh, no, it wasn't. There was no outing at that time. Right. 
Um, okay, so let's go back, or I guess let's go forward now to what you're talking about. Um, your your was it your sister you said, or you, yeah, or you have so family up here? Okay, she lived in Oakland. Okay, so, I was just going to ask where in the Bay Area. So yeah, yeah, she lived in Oakland. So I spent maybe my first two years in the Bay Area. Well, yeah, I don't know how many years, two to three years in Oakland. Uh, I got a job for working for Bay Alarm Company. Uh, when they first started, now they now they probably got three or four hundred service trucks. Then we had three trucks. So a very small company. And I just kind of stayed in Oakland, maybe hung out in Oakland. I loved Oakland. I still like Oakland. Don't love it necessarily, but I still like Oakland. I never came to San Francisco. Never really? came to San never. Francisco anymore. No. Okay. That bridge was a long way away. And there was no I knew nothing about San Francisco. So um I but you knew that bar on Sixth Street. That's it. That bar Street. And that bar is still it's still there. It's um I forget the name of that club. It's painted all black. Um, it's on Mena, not Mena, Stephen. No, not Stephen. Well, Jesse. It's on Jesse and Sixth Street. And it's it's okay. a uh, rock, rock. Well, I don't know what they call it now. Rock and roll bar, whatever they call it. But it's still right. a bar. But it's still a bar. Still okay. a bar. Yeah. Still a bar. Um, so in addition to working at Bay Alarm, uh, those few years that you lived in Oakland, um, what else were you, what other kinds of things were you doing? Were you still, um, did you still consider yourself an activist or w when did that come back into your life or? Well, I got so busy working. Um, I didn't, there was not much activism going on then, uh, except the Black Panthers and it was just a little too strong for me. Their message okay. was a little too strong for me. And plus I was so anti-guns, anti-violence. I just couldn't get with a group that carry openly carry guns. That was not my mission. Um, right. Luckily, in, in in the service, I did not have to carry an offensive weapon. I carried a defensive weapon, a shotgun, that we never even used uh, because medics cannot carry offensive weapons. Right. So uh, yeah, I didn't want to get with with. Uh, yeah, I didn't want to get with that. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, what other kinds of things in in Oakland were you were you doing? Just working, uh, going out to the clubs, you know, meeting mm -hmm. meeting folks. Um, yeah, just just you know, just trying to get into this California thing. Did you think yet, uh, you know, that you were kind of laying roots or or anything like that? Did you think you were going to stick around this area for a while at that point? At any moment, I could have gone back to Chicago. Right. Yeah. In fact, even now, now that is not off the table. Right. Can you speak to what it was that, that kept you here? My kids. Okay. That's really the only thing that's keeping me, keeping me here now. Okay. I would much rather be in, uh, I mean, it's so much silliness, ridiculous out here, the political wise, I would much rather be in Baltimore or Chicago where I think I could actually make a change. And I think I could actually get some things done that it's impossible to get down here. I guess you're in Oakland and then and then what happened? Where, where did you go next? Then I came to San Francisco. Okay, and, and what brought that change on? I don't remember my reason for coming over to San Francisco okay. that day, that night, you, you, you know, uh, and, and I'll tell you why later. But uh, so that was one of the two bad decisions in life. One is leaving the fire department. Uh, two was coming to San Francisco. <laughs>
That was Del Seymour. On the next episode of Storied San Francisco, Del will talk about his move to the city and cover most of his time here, mostly in and around the Tenderloin. Please join us for part two this Thursday. Music for Storied San Francisco is by Otis McDonald. Photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. The show is hosted and produced by me. Michelle and I have produced more than 120 episodes over the last three years, and you can find them all over at our website, storiedsf.com. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as just about everywhere you can listen to podcasts. Please subscribe to stay up to date on all the content we publish. And if you have any feedback for us, or you just want to say hi, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay strong, stay safe, and stay healthy.